Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome, dear listeners, beautiful community of seekers to this week's episode of High Energy Health. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today and sharing this space with us. I am Miriam Paninski. I have the honor of being your guest host of this great podcast for Dawson Church for the next few weeks. I am the Consciousness Program Director of EFT Universe, a writer and researcher and EFT healing practitioner with emphasis on PTSD, generational trauma and ancestral healing, which is why I am specifically specifically excited about this conversation today, I have the special pleasure to speak with the wonderful Mary Firestone. Mary, I am so happy to speak with you today. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited as well. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know Mary yet, but should get to know her as soon as possible, Mary is a graduate of Princeton University, has an MA in clinical psychology, and her own transformative epiphanies, and we'll talk a lot about that, led her, along with her sister Lucy, to found their amazing company, Firestone Sisters, in 2012, with the aim of providing others with healing and growth opportunities. And she's been featured in Goop, in Well and Good, and Forbes. And today we will talk about Mary's newest book, her publication, Trusting the Dawn, How to Choose Freedom and Joy After Trauma. And I just want to preface this conversation by what Joe Dispenza says about this book, which is Trusting the Dawn bridges the story of real life trauma with practical tools to transform yourself and your life. This book is medicine for anyone who wants to free their mind, body, and soul from the past. That's pretty spectacular. (laughs) Mary, I want to start by, so on your website, actually, it says, the first thing it says about you, it says, you survived the unthinkable. So before we go deeper into the book, I wondered if you would share a bit about your own journey, your own healing journey, as it seems to be deeply rooted and deeply inform this book and actually the first chapter is called my story so and actually you start the book with a pretty recent history of yours and many others actually as well that gave me chills however you talk about this horrific incident as being a blessing or a gift in disguise so if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about you and what led you to write this book that would be phenomenal Absolutely. So, you know, I had discovered healing kind of on my own just after a few instances of sexual abuse in childhood that kind of went untreated, I guess would be the technical term. So it wasn't until, you know, 18, I was freshman year at Princeton and they offered free counseling services that I, something in me just knew I needed to go. So that was what started me originally on my healing journey at 18 with traditional talk therapy. And then sort of as I got older, I moved to California from the East Coast. I discovered yoga. I discovered energy healing. I, you know, was working on my master's degree in clinical psychology. 
which was pretty traditionally therapeutically based, and then also being exposed to all these different other styles of healing. So I'd, I had this kind of healing background and had been working on healing those instances from the past. And then in 2018, I we had just moved, my family had moved to Montecito, which is this bucolic little village right next to Santa Barbara. I thought I had discovered it and then come to find out like, like Oprah lives there and Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at the time I felt like, oh, I discovered this amazing place. And so we moved there and we found this perfect 1890s farmhouse in like the best public school district. And it was gorgeous. And we'd only been in this house for four nights before that, well, the Thomas fire was ravaging all Southern California and we'd been forced to evacuate. And I was pregnant at the time and had a four-year-old little boy. So mm -hmm. we left. And then when we came back in January 2018, they were calling for rain and possible debris flows. I didn't really know what that meant. Having grown up on the East Coast, a debris flow did not sound serious to me. And we weren't in the evacuation zone. So we stayed. And at four o'clock in the morning, I woke up and we hadn't gotten curtains put in yet because we just moved in. So I saw literally the mountain coming at oh, my God. Yeah, like a tsunami. And I screamed to my husband, oh my God, go get Ever, because he's on the second floor, our son. And by the time he had started running to go get him, the wall had crushed in. I was up to my waist in mud and glass and sewage and boulders. And so the only thing to do was to run the other way. So I ran the other direction towards my bathroom where I watched my two stories of my house with my living room and children's bedrooms ripped off, spun around backwards, going towards the ocean at 30 miles an hour. And I thought that my husband and child were in it. And I was trapped for five hours on my bathroom counter. The mud stopped like an inch below my countertop. Yeah, thinking that everyone, I thought it was like the apocalypse. I mean, honestly, there was after the, the mudslide stopped, which was very deafening and loud and, you know, other houses going down and cars getting whistled down and boulders the size of tanks. Mm -hmm. um, it was so eerie. There was like no life. And a lot of my neighbors actually right around my house died that night. So it was a trauma on a... Mm -hmm. Deep, like a deeply intense. That's what I think when you people describe it as unthinkable. I remember even in it being like, this isn't something how you know, yeah. you, you could never imagine. And luckily, everybody, my loved ones survived. And I got out of that situation with some scrapes and some splinters and a serious case of poison oak and also a serious case of PTSD. So that is kind of what led me into this work of writing the book, because while I definitely had PTSD, it was about a year later that I had this epiphany of like, wait, but I've had so many wonderful things happen that again, unthinkable, that never would have happened without that extreme contraction of trauma to lead me into this place of growth and connection. That's kind of how the book evolved. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, it's giving me chills again to listen to that. And I read it and now it's of course like almost like a, a totally different level. Also hearing you hearing about this and, and we have 
children about the same age as I calculated. So it really hit home kind of like that, that whole kind of scenario was is unthinkable kind of it's it's unimaginable. So who is this book written for, Mary? It's written for so many people. I mean, and definitely in writing it, it was a cathartic experience for myself getting to connect with, you know, I interviewed all different kinds of trauma survivors and thrivers so that the reader could find themselves in the book. So I think, you know, being so inspired by others that had been through unthinkable situations and not only were they still here, but because of what had happened, it had changed their life in a positive way in some way or another. I wrote this book really for those of us, and I was there too, that when you're in that tunnel post-trauma that feel it feels so dark, it feels so long, it feels like, am I ever going to get to the other side? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wrote it as an offering to all those struggling in that place, and also to like the people, I feel very fortunate to live in Santa Barbara in California, where healing, these kinds of conversations are you know, if not the norm, they're really accessible. And to Mm -hmm. find connection in the healing world is easier. So I Mm -hmm. come picturing, you know, I don't know who she is, this woman in Iowa or Nebraska or somewhere where these kinds of conversations are not the norm Mm -hmm. for her to have a manual, to know she's not alone, to have tools she can access yeah, and I think that's what's really special about this book. You speak extremely trauma-informed, yet you do make all of these kind of like both conventional and un- and what can be called, I guess, unconventional healing modalities kind of accessible and kind of like ready-made in this kind of like little book, you know, little big book. So I think that's really fantastic and really phenomenal to kind of like have all of this as this resource available. I'd like to start as we dive deeper in the book trusting the dawn. What is the dawn, Mary? Well, it's got a couple different meanings. So as I was just saying, I feel like in the aftermath of trauma, we can feel so just, you know, heavy and, and like, we're just submerged in darkness. So to trust that it will, it always gets light again, and it will get light again. So, you know, metaphorically, emotionally speaking, it will get light again. And then also, literally, that day, I was sitting in the dark, on my countertop, praying and waiting for it to get light outside for the dawn, so that I could assess and, you know, figure out how to move forward. Right, it must have been pitch dark because all the electricity must have been gone. Well, it was so weird. And this is why for me, you know, I definitely believed in God, spirit, angels before I had a spiritual practice. But that night, there was some other divine loving presence with me is how I Mm -hmm. just feel like some force was keeping me safe. There were just so many what ifs that if they Mm -hmm. had all lined up perfectly and like, like that, Mm -hmm. I don't think we'd still be here. So it was really weird because there was a gas explosion up the hill. Mm -hmm. And that is what lit up the sky to this like eerie orange. And that's how I could see to Mm -hmm. see the, you know, the mountain was hurtling towards mm-hmm. us. So, and then I got pitch black. <laughs> yeah. But also the fact that you woke, that you saw this at 4 a.m. and that you were able to call your husband to get your child, all of these. It reminds me actually of Dawson Church's story with this crazy fire, which is a similar kind of story where his wife woke up 
mm. out of nowhere and the fire was basically a minute away they just got out the last minute so these are kind of like these what feels like a divine intervention yeah 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 so to go because also trauma obviously is kind of like in the title and in this what kind of like informs this book a lot and I feel like for decades the general perception of trauma was that it was coming from these kind of severe events however you also do point out that bible what you said the bible of psychiatric diagnosis like the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders has been updated and rewritten a number of times since its, since its initial publication in 1952 so obviously we have a very different understanding of trauma to that day and i very much appreciate how you both broaden the perspective and the explanation about trauma yet kind of like make it accessible to kind of like understand what's happening and the various ways trauma can be created and how it can express to actually to the point of leading to Gabby Bernstein quotes that you put in the book we are all traumatized could you please say more about that yeah i you know i do the dsm and psychology is a very young science really and it is changing all the time and we're making i mean the brain is a fairly on, you know, it's like this still uncharted territory. So we're learning new things about the brain and psychology every day, which makes it really exciting. And also there's room. <laughs> the, and for me, trauma really means anytime we feel our life is in jeopardy in some ways. And that can be, you know, through something where I went through, it can be in a more extreme, like a sexual assault, you're held down, something against your will, or it can also just mean like what we've all endured through the COVID pandemic. Like we're not necessarily all of us squashed up next to someone who is really ill with COVID or, but it's this perception of like your own mortality is called into question in some way, be it immediately or at a distance. And I think, you know, I've heard some people kind of discount their trauma response, like, well, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't right. I didn't go to the hospital. I wasn't right next to the the bombing. I just mm -hmm. saw it. But that, you know, you still, you see it, you process it, and we can all, we can have a traumatic response and experience, traumatic experience. So suffering is universal. Mm -hmm. Human, that is part of, part of the deal. <laughs> We're going to suffer. Um, and one thing I love that Dr. Edith Eager says, she's a Holocaust survivor. She's in her 90s. She's written two books. She's such an incredible inspiration. You know, and she said to me and in her books, like suffering is a part of life. Vict vict being victimized is part of life. Victimhood is your choice. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. that's kind of what we do with it and how mm -hmm. we through healing, we can compose that experience into a growth opportunity. And I think that's a really, really important connection. And I like in my practice, of course, I have a range of women that come with severe incidents and traumatic a lot, of course, and a lot of sexual trauma, as you mentioned also about you. But then there's also these women that kind of say, I don't know what's wrong with me because I'm suffering, but I come from a privileged household and I had this amazing education and I had a loving family, yet something is completely off. And until you realize that, you know, it may just be the incident of the mother leaving the house every day 
without saying bye because it was considered to be better to not kind of stir up the child instead of like having a ritual of you know that kind of stirred this sense of loss and and all of these things so and it's it's really important to point out that trauma can take all of these shapes when you approach yourself with this kind of like self-compassion that allows healing to happen so but that doesn't mean that we have to flip into victimhood right it just means that we can approach healing that we can approach uh resolve basically i think you're so right sorry i don't mean to interrupt but that's what (laughs) i've been thinking about a lot it's like unless we acknowledge what has happened or like maybe we can't even put our finger on what it is and there you know there's also generational trauma Mm -hmm. which is something I'm interested in going into deeper but the you know the little bit of research that I've done and what I personally have experienced it's like you might be feeling trauma that like your grandparent didn't yes yes and because you know and then the parent it passes it down which for me every time I don't know about you but each time I was pregnant I was like Oh boy, like it was such a call to action for my own healing. So I was like, I want to pass as little down as possible. Yes. It's actually scientific proof now that trauma, like through epigenetics, and we can find these traces of trauma through at least three generations. And actually, I think it's seven generations or more, but at least three generations. And it is about, and it's not, again, it's not about falling into victimhood or using something to kind of say into victimhood. And I think that's a real, that distinguishing that you make is really important, but it's about that acknowledgement and that integration, the same way you would acknowledge the pain of a child that allows for, as you say, for this trauma to become this blessing in disguise or this gift in disguise. And that's what I, the conversations I have with my clients and the processing I have with my clients is how can we transform your trauma into your superpower? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah if healed, you know, and, and again, I also want to say, cause I feel like healing is an ongoing yes, lifelong. So I think sometimes there can be a pitfall of like, when we have a setback being like, oh my gosh, I'm failing at my healing. It's like, no, like, okay, great. It's for me now. And sure. After my, like maybe a little bit of self-pitying, then we go on to great. This is an opportunity. There's something else to look at in there. Exactly. And this is, this is actually why I often avoid word healing. And then also in my own research, in my own book, I'd rather call it integration because healing kind of is also comes with this kind of expectation almost that things need to be kind of all good and done and trauma is pushed away. And, and I have nothing to do with that and all of these kind of things. So I am enjoying this conversation so much. We are going into our first commercial break. Please tune right back with us with this amazing conversation with Mary Firestone. Thank you so much. Welcome back to today's episode of the High Energy Health Podcast. I'm Miriam Paninsky. Today in conversation with Mary Firestone, we're talking about her new book, Trusting the Dawn, How to Choose Freedom and Joy After Trauma. And we were just talking about really kind of just how trauma has the potential of turning into this blessing, this gift in disguise, this superpower. So I wanted to kind of further go into this because 
Yeah. So first of all, I want to say, I, talk, I want to talk a little bit about the structure of the book. So it's structured in two parts. There's this first part, which is called transformation. And the second one is called healing modalities. So what was the, and you touched upon it a little bit. Can you say a little bit more about what the idea behind this structure was? Yeah. So I really wanted to convey, you know, this like framework of how I was understanding my own trauma as, you know, instead of this heavy burden and, you know, even like my childhood trauma, I've been like toting that around for 30 years. So, you know, really reframing the way I was thinking about it as an opportunity for growth. And so that is what then led me to do all this research on like, you know, resilience um, theory and talk with people like Dr. Edie Eager and even like Joe, you know, Joe Dispenza, who I love, who's been like a great mentor and teacher, you know, how much our thoughts can create our reality. So when Mm -hmm. we're stuck in kind of like a PTSD, hypervigilant state, I know for me, it was like my thoughts were very fear-based you know, and I was creating a lot of that reality. And then I was giving, I had panic attacks and just, I just want to loop back for one second to something we were talking about, about the acknowledgement mm-hmm. of like that, what mm-hmm. we and not getting stuck and dwelling on it as the story of our lives. But I love what you're talking about integration. Like it, it is a story. It is a part of our lives. And in order to integrate, we need to acknowledge. So And someone that had, I had my, you know, the master's in psych and I've been leading retreats for women for 10 years. And still I wasn't even aware fully that I was in having PTSD responses. So that's how much our brain can like, you're fine. You're fine. Keep going, keep going. And so I just want to empathize with any listeners out there. If it takes you a while to come to this realization of like, oh man, okay. There's like something to, something to integrate here. So I think that's why I wanted to provide a framework. I wanted to offer these other stories and in interviews of hope and healing or integration. I'm an easier word. I like that. <laughs> as well as like really let the reader know that I'm with you. I think that was something that I found pretty traumatizing when I was doing my own personal, you know, reading about trauma. A lot of books out there were really traumatizing for me to read. They really kind of- And isolating. Yes. And Mm -hmm. kind of more like talking at you. So I really wanted to offer a different experience for the reader of one, like I'm with you. I under, like I I empathize. Uh, You're not alone. That was kind of like the, you know, framework. And then I then also wanted to provide people with like tangible, you know, healing modalities and lots of different ways in Mm -hmm. on me from traditional talk therapy, EMDR, to shamanism, Mm -hmm. to flower essences, to ketamine, you know, I wanted to give people as many different tools as I possibly could. Yeah, and we'll talk more about some of these tools that you're writing about. But to circle back to your circling back, I really do appreciate your attention to language here. And that's something that's very much part of my work too, also like having a literary literature scholar background kind of that how important it is to pay attention to the language that you use, the story you tell about yourself. The And that's like somehow sometimes the hardest part. And that's often the beginning is kind of like realizing what story I have told about myself that I have been recreating that story. And it's it's a painful one, you know, to realize 
realize, because also victimhood, and I also speak from my healing journey, that victimhood or being in that position has a certain strange kind of comfort because it's familiar. Trauma is familiar, as you say. We don't even know that it's there. And it's that's what makes it so hard to break out of it. And anxiety and fear and all of these things, a lot of us are growing up with that and it feels familiar. So breaking out of it is hard. Owning the creatorship of that is painful and it's not. And I think that's what I really like about how you write. It's not about accusing. It's not about accusation. It's not about saying you're responsible for your own, your own trauma. That's not what this is saying, but it's saying you can own it. In, the, in terms of like, how am I recreating the story that was may have been imposed on me first, but how am I recreating it? And how is my language part of that, that I use every day about myself and about others? Does yes. that make sense? Absolutely. And I think, you know, yeah, to your point, it can be like, frustrating, like, wait, I've been keeping myself in a bit of a loop. So frustrating and self judgment and all of it. And then I think once we move through that, <laughs> then it can be actually quite empowering. Wow. Like, okay, if I'm the one that has been in essence, like keeping myself locked in to a story and to a state of being, and I'm the one that can open and fly, you know, like Mm -hmm. once you, that was my experience too. It's almost like a waking up, you know? Yes. I'm waking up and it may be painful at first. So I think like that you open that you hold that space, that compassionate space and that empathic space is really, really powerful. So again, like to the listeners, that's like really, it's such a, it's a great research. It's just a great tool, your book. And like not to, to dive deeper actually into this, as we said, like we talked about the blessing in disguise and the superpower and you use words also such as resilience and expansion after traumatic events in a nutshell. And I know this is like a larger question how do we start? How can we get there? Or what are the first steps to consider as we are in that fight, flight, free state, maybe? What are some of the things that helped you or you would your reader like to consider? I think one of the first things is when you're in that fight or free state Mm -hmm. is kind of disrupting that loop. And it's like, it's a, you know, we're having a physiological response So breaking the loop. So for me and for others, I might recommend like EMDR as a way to first kind of break the loop and create, you know, some should. Okay. And I want to, I want to get back there right away, because I think that's such an important point. The EMDR somatic modality is so essential for me, obviously, also with the practice that I do. We are going on a short break. We'll be right back with this conversation with Mary Firestone. Thank you so much. Welcome back to today's episode of the High Energy Health Podcast. Today in conversation with the amazing Mary Firestone. And I just interrupted you, Mary, as we went into the break. So we were just talking about, you You were starting with, you were saying, you were talking about EMDR actually, breaking the loop, breaking the physical loop, so to say. Yeah. So EMDR was the first place that I started. And, you know, I have to say, and I share in the book, like I was a little skeptical. I mean, I had studied it, but I'd never experienced it. And I, at the time I did it, it was fairly recently, maybe in a couple of weeks 
after the mudslide and I was having really intense, horrible nightmares and digestion. I mean, I was super PTSD. Mm -hmm. I was really in it. So I was extremely surprised when it works. Like literally I had one session and I didn't have a nightmare that night. So I I realized Mm -hmm. my results are not, you know, it takes um, people often longer than that. But I think it's the idea, yeah, breaking the loop. Another thing I did right away was cranial sacral work. I love it. Yeah. Love it. And again, just like, especially after like such a physical trauma, there was some part of me that it was really relieving to be able to not have to talk but to mm-hmm. let you know, essentially my body and my brain communicate for me what needed healing. So I think those are two great places to start. Further along, just thinking about like breaking that loop, ketamine was something that I did that really breaks the loop. It's uh, the most powerful but gentlest psychedelic. It's the only... Mm-hmm psychedelic in this country right now I also just have to say that I'm like a child of the 80s so I grew up with like you know the Nancy Reagan just say no to drugs I was a total right (laughs) two shoes in that regard so doing something like ketamine was was major for me but at the ketamine how it was described to me by my psychiatrist, Dr. Jeff Becker, it, you know, kind of shuts off the part of the brain that worries and anticipates and has a sense of time. And it allows for different parts of the brain that don't normally get the opportunity to communicate to talk. So, you know, when this frontal part of our brain is online, as it is mm-hmm. conscious, then that's repressing other parts and keeping us in these, these loops with the ketamine allows for like new neural pathways to form because everyone's getting to talk to everyone. Yeah. So for me, it was extremely powerful, extremely Mm -hmm. life-changing actually. Would you say that it was important for you though, to, to, to go through the EMDR or kind of like more conventional steps before trying the ketamine? Yeah, I think that it's really, you know, and everyone's obviously unique and different. For me, it helped to kind of step my way. And also in the stepping up or the peeling back or what, whatever metaphor we want to use to be really clear about what it was that I was wanting to ask conscious what what I wanted to be shown and I think there's different schools of thought like you're going to be shown what you need to be shown and I also in my experience I found that the clearer I was when I was going in to a session I think I did four total the clearer I was Mm -hmm. about my desired outcome then the clear then that was kind of more the experience so begin the work, begin to unravel some of that before you go into a ketamine session would be helpful. I really appreciate your descriptions also about this. I agree with you. I think that cognitive clarity as you kind of like go in and kind of know what you're looking for, like an intention setting, I suppose, like a clear intention before I think is from what I could see very helpful, and very beneficial for people taking these journeys. So almost like something that you don't expect that it would come in your book actually it's like kind of like it's it's almost like you 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 know you start you know with more conventional with EMDR and of course these modalities and then 
nature and we'll talk a little bit about aromatherapy because I know that it's essential oils are very important for you as well. And then it's kind of like the cannabis, it's such a broad spectrum that you offer. And um, so, yeah, just wanted to point that out. But to go back to the essential oils, can you talk a little bit about that and what kind of importance that has for you and also your offerings? I know that part of what you put out there. Essential oils have been, I mean, since I was a little girl, like playing with like, you know, oils and fragrance and scents has been like such a part of my joy. And then I think understanding more, not only do these essential oils, do they smell good, but that they have all these different properties that you can benefit from by wearing them. Some people in ingest them safely in water, but for me wearing them. So my sister and I, Lucy, we have been leading these retreats for women. We've been doing it, gosh, for like a decade now, but we really wanted like a way for people that couldn't come to kind of have a transformative experience. So mm-hmm. we, I've been playing around with like these essential oils. I had like sandalwood for grounding, rose geranium that calms fears, junipers detoxifying, Honeysuckle makes you feel a little sexy and sweet. So we essentially, we bottled like a retreat. That's what we, that's what we call it. Our, our, we have two perfumes now, essential oil-based perfumes called a retreat and a bottle. And Mm -hmm. so that's for, you know, people that cannot come in person. And also we spray them during the retreats because our sense of smell is our most powerful anchor back to an experience. So that then when, you know, retreatees go home, they have an anchor back to how they were feeling while on the retreat. So our first one is called The First, and it's designed to be kind of like a ritual, like get in touch with yourself and think about what you need from the essential oils when you apply it. And then the second one we just released around Valentine's Day, and it's called Open, and it's all about heart opening. And we used a rose in that, which is all about love and heart opening magnolia Mm -hmm. which is actually one of the best essential oils for trauma for healing and a little black tea and sandalwood for the grounding as well yeah i really i use them every day and even actually in that night of the mudslide i was on my bathroom counter and there was like amazingly a little bottle of an essential oil called inner peace oh wow this way a company that i really love and recommend So in my moments of being like, okay, okay, you're going to like, I would pump it in my hands and try to breathe and meditate. Mm -hmm. They calm that night. So it's really, seriously has gotten, they've gotten me through a lot. I think they help too. It's like, you're going out, I wear this one. You need to sit down and write, I'm wearing this one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. I I love essential oil as well. So I, I'm very much with you there. We are going into the last short commercial break before our last bit of conversation with Mary Firestone. Please come right back. All right, back in two and a half minutes for the last eight minutes. Thank you, Jay. You're welcome. Any anything? I mean, I, I'd I'd like to circle to your website as well and guide people to your offerings there. Um, but anything else you you'd want to talk about? Anything you want to you'd like to mention? I feel like there's so much. Maybe should we squeeze in? Because um, the ketamine's awesome. But, and I feel like for people that are adverse to a drug, holotropic breath work was like so powerful for me. Have okay. You- yep. 
I have not tried that. I would love to hear more about that. You gotta do it. It's so good. <laughs> well, gladly I have your book, so I can. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a good one. It's almost as intense um, a psychedelic experience just from breathing alone. Welcome back to this last slot um, of conversation with the beautiful Mary Firestone. And we were just talking about the power of essential oils. But what I'd also like to touch upon is the power of breath work, because breath work is something that is so accessible. And as we briefly chatted, ketamine may be something that people may be not open to, adverse to for whatever reason, which are totally fine. Talk about the power of breath work in your journey and, and what exactly it is you've tried. So holotropic breath work was I don't know, discovered, founded by a psychiatrist, a Czech psychiatrist named Stanislav Grof. And he had been using psychedelic drugs in his practice in the Czech Republic with great results. And when he moved here, the drugs were illegal. So he had to devise another way kind of into that psychedelic state for his patients. So he and his wife developed this way of breathing called holotropic breath work that induces that psychedelic state. And I have to say, I've done it with two different practitioners several times now. And it is, the experience is almost as intense for me as a ketamine journey and all you're doing. Oh, wow. So that's something that I would check out if people are interested in kind of like sticking their toe in. And it's kind of like dipping into the subconscious where a lot of our pain and stories, you know, we can mentally work on and integrate mentally. And then, you know, there's so many different layers and a lot of mm -hmm. the triggers live in the subconscious. So if we can get in there and begin to integrate those. So that's a, a great. Yeah. I can't wait to try that for sure. So do you have like a daily routine for yourself? And what does that look like? How much time have we got? <laughs> My daily practice is, you know, I like this could take all day. But what I do every morning is these days is I do a Qigong practice, which Qigong is a, you know, one of the branches of Chinese medicine. And you know, my Qigong teacher is not not pleased with how it's uh, for me, it feels like a moving meditation. So but it also, you know, brings greater chi, which is energy and life force into the body and helps ground. So I do that every morning. And I also write in a journal every morning, I call it it's like a, a morning meeting with myself and with God. And if God is like a, you know, not a great concept for you, then anything like your higher self, nature, the universe, but I just kind of, you know, read something for a few minutes or a minute that's inspirational. I love Mark Meepo. He's amazing. Or Florence Scovel Shen. Those are two books that I have by my side all the time. And then kind of, I mean, the word manifest has gotten so overused lately. <laughs> and I think, you know, not how I'm intending it, but you know, I write what I'm grateful for, things that I actually have happened or are in my life. And then also things that I'm desiring to bring into my life. And I write it as if I already have them. Again, going back 
back to our thoughts create our reality. And it's not mm-hmm. just your thoughts, it's the feeling and the vibration in the body that those thoughts evoke. So if we're all energetic beings, vibrational match. So if I'm feeling in the state of like joyful gratitude, then it's easier for whatever it is to zip find me. <laughs> yeah. And, and for our audience, if that's hard for you, if you feel like to connect to those sometimes those feelings that sometimes feel so big, you know, if you're like in a dark space, it's hard to connect with like unconditional love or gratitude or those feelings. But what you can do is connect to the desire for those feelings. So I just want to emphasize that as well. I love that morning routine. And I love the concept of morning meeting and journaling is such a great practice. And it's actually such a great reconditioning of our brain. Use our hands, not don't touch use your your finger and your hand and a pen and the diary or journal to bring your own expression on the paper is and I really love your concept of the morning meeting that's beautiful I'm gonna borrow that for sure before we finish I want to direct everyone I want to ask you Mary have any offerings right now I just want to redirect our audience to Mary's website maryfirestone.co order her book and also of course the fragrances Mary do you want to add anything here about what you're offering right now. Yeah, the fragrances in the book. And, you know, I do offer one-on-one strategy sessions. They're not therapy sessions, but, you know, for people that are kind of like, "Hmm, I don't know where to begin or begin in my healing journey, or I've tried these things and I'm not sure what direction to go in. And then my sister Lucy and I have a retreat coming up in May on the Caribbean island of Mystique, which is like a magical healing experience in and of itself. We have four places left. So that's another offering that we have right now. That's amazing. Four places left for Mystique. And and how matching it is that that's the island of Mystique for your retreats, right? Yeah, yeah, it's an amazing place. And I, you know, on Instagram, I have way too many handles, but trusting the dawn 2022 is like all the (laughs) that's great yeah so instagram connect with mary on instagram maryfirestone.co and again her recent book just came out freshly from the printer trusting the dawn trusting the dawn how to choose freedom and joy after trauma mary it's been a tremendous pleasure of talking to you today that was fantastic Thank you so much for for being on the show today and sharing your wisdom, sharing all of your modalities. And again, I would encourage everyone to just get Mary's book and also start your own healing journey. There are tremendous research, tremendous resources out there. I've been mentioning EFT. EFT Universe is an amazing resource. There's a, there's free tapping experiences, free tapping circles, and tapping Tuesdays every Tuesday. And we offer also, of course, the clinical certification as well as meditation programs. So do make use of all of these tremendous resources to start your own healing journey if you haven't already begun it. And yeah, Mary, it was just a huge pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much. And we release you into your afternoon and evening, the audience, and we will hear you all next week for and at the same time. Thank you so much. 